Nation, have you heard about the Rocket Book? The Rocket Book has completely changed how I am able to find my notes. Last year, when I cleaned my office, I had accumulated 14 legal pads full of notes for the year 2020. Well, I cannot find anything in those 14 legal pads. The Rocket Book allows you to take notes in the same way you're used to, hand to pen to paper, and you can then scan that using their app and you can search your notes. You can go look for that last time you interfaced with that customer, put a few keywords in there and it will pop up. This is a complete game changer with how you take notes and especially with how you do account surveys. Go to our affiliate link, scalinguph2o.com forward slash rocketbook to get 15% off your first order of $20 or more. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. My name is Trace Blackmore. I host this podcast. And Nation, so many things going on this year. We're just starting out the year, and I want to make sure that you mark down in your calendar the things that you can do this year that are going to help you think differently, that are going to help you meet new people, and help you get things done. And something coming up on February 9th is the National Groundwater Association. As hydrology varies widely across the United States, the primary jurisdiction over groundwater development rests with the states. That means each state is unique. This webinar series explores the issues encountering each of the 50 states one at a time. If you want to find out more about this conference, Go to our show notes page and we'll be sure to have all that information as well as a link for you. And then something that I will be at and I hope I see you there. You've got two opportunities to come see me with the Association of Water Technologies Technical Training Seminars. We're going to be doing one in the West. We'll be in Seattle, Washington, February 23rd through 26th. And then again, March 30th through April 2nd, we will be in Cleveland, Ohio. I hope to see you there. And if you practice the same type of water treatment that I do, you cannot afford to miss this. This is just action-packed. Everything that you need to know to be a professional water treater. And don't think if you've been before that you've gotten everything out of it. I have been a trainer and I've also been an attendee at this technical training for years. And every single time I see one of our presenters teach the audience, I learn something new. Folks, you want to make sure you mark your calendars for that and make sure you come up and say hi. I would love to meet you. Well, before we get to our guest, here's another Thinking on Water with James. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about being stuck in a rut. Are you stuck in a rut in your industrial water treatment career? Are you running the same old pinks and blues in the same accounts day after day? If so, and you feel stuck in a rut, 
What are you missing by just going through the motions at each account? What other water treatment parameters should you be testing? What other value-added projects are just waiting to be done that you currently cannot see while stuck in a rut? What equipment needs to be repaired or replaced? What new things can you learn? How can you take a fresh look at your accounts, testing habits, control equipment, daily routine, and knowledge base just to mix things up a little and make you an even more valuable partner for your customers? If you feel stuck in a rut, take this next week to think about it and possibly reach out to someone else within your company and network to help you get out. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's Thinking on Water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. Thanks, James. And if you have gotten a little behind on Thinking on Water, don't worry. You can go to our show notes page and you can catch up. We're still very young in the year, so lots of opportunities to catch up. And we are going to have a new Thinking on Water every single week. So make sure you are thinking on water right along with James. Well, Nation, let's get straight into our interview. Here it is. My lab partner today is Michael Lowenstein of Q Laboratories. Michael, welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Hi, how are you, Trace? It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you here, and you and I missed each other at the recent AWT convention, but we are fixing that right now. Before we get started on all the cool things that we're getting ready to talk about, do you mind telling the Scaling Up Nation a bit about yourself? Sure. I'm the Vice President of Scientific Consulting here at Q Labs in Cincinnati, Ohio. I got my degree in microbiology from The Ohio State University. have to emphasize the the because I'm sure there's some fellow Buckeyes out there in Scaling Up Nation. After getting my degree in microbiology, I went to work for Procter & Gamble in corporate R&D microbiology. So I have microbiologists by education and training. When I was at P&G, initially, I was doing things like evaluating and validating rapid methods. That was my first assignment there at P&G. Moved on to working on antimicrobial claims, designing preservative systems. And about halfway through my time there, I got more interested in microcontrol of manufacturing. So I transitioned to another arm of P&G's micro group. And I got to do things like look at clean design and designing of water systems and things like that and designing the monitoring programs around those water systems. So it's very similar to what we're doing here. Uh, I got my my feet wet, so to speak, at, at PNG and purified water systems. After about 10 years at PNG, I got recruited to QLabs initially to lead the quality department. So I was director of quality for about a year. And then in uh, December of 2019, I transitioned to my current role as head of scientific consulting here. And that's really leading our training and consulting arm of our business. And also, I'm serving as sort of the technical lead for anything new that we're doing at, at uh, Q Labs. Part of that is this study that we presented phase one of at AWT just a couple of months ago. And we'll continue on into phase two, and hopefully we'll get to talk a little bit about that. Well, and that's why you're here. So many people came up to me and said, I needed to get you on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Everybody enjoyed your presentation. So I'm hoping what we could do is maybe recapture part of your presentation here for the Scaling Up H2O audience and maybe go a little bit beyond that. And I guess if I'm going to ask you a question around that, we've got the standard, we've got faster methods. Why do we use some over the other? And what should we be looking at? Yeah, so I think there's this 
misconception, right, that there is a gold standard. We call it the gold standard method. And I think we need to look at what we mean when we say the gold standard method. Practically, what we mean is we're talking about the ISO 11731, the cultural method. But in reality, then people say, well, I'm also following the CDC method. I'm following not the ISO method. I'm following a culture method. And they're talking about them as if they were all the same. And they're not all the same. The CDC doesn't have a method. They have a guidance document. The ISO cultural method is consistent with the CDC guidance document and vice versa, depending on how you read it. And then there are fairly broad allowances within the cultural method itself, even if you're picking one, the ISO 11731, let's take that. There are different augers you can use. There are different pretreatment steps you can use. It's relying a lot on the individual to make choices based on the information they have about that water. And because of that, the quote unquote gold standard is not all that standardized to begin with. As for rapid methods, I think the reason we're not using them more today is that there's an outdated conception on what their capabilities are. If you were to look at the rapid methods for Legionella even five or 10 years ago, all of these concerns like, does it distinguish live from dead cells? Is it quantitative? Can it characterize the Legionella that I'm finding? Five or 10 years ago, those concerns were valid. Today, the rapid methods, at least many of them, can distinguish live from dead cells. They are quantitative and they can characterize the Legionella to some degree. And so I think as we talk about the capabilities of these more modern PCR technologies, it is a more legitimate question to say, hey, should I be using this as part of my routine Legionella testing strategy? as part of my water management plan. Let's break down some of those things. I wanna make sure everybody's following the conversation. So I know there's different ways to do the culture method. Generally, what is that? And then generally, what is the rapid method? Sure, so the cultural method is easier to talk about as, as one thing, even though I, I just said there's really several different places you could be getting your information from. Really what we're doing is we're taking the water sample, and we're almost always going to filter that, some volume that the water treater is going to provide, whether that's you know 250 milliliters for uh, routine monitoring or one liter maybe in the, in the event of a case investigation. We're going to filter that, and we're going to plate it out on a fairly selective auger BCYE with antibiotics in it. We plate it on BCYE alone, and then also on BCYE with some antibiotics because in addition to Legionella being present, there's all sorts of other microorganisms in the water that make it difficult for us to see that there's Legionella there. If we expect that there's going to be a lot of background there, or if we've already tested that water and we know that there's a lot of background there, then we have the option to do these pretreatment steps where we can treat with either acid or heat to try and knock down that background bio burden, the non-Legionella microorganisms. Um, there's some problems with that, which maybe we'll talk about. The rapid methods, on the other hand, they're not looking for growth, which is a, is a big benefit of them. You know, the cultural method, of course, we need the organisms, organisms to be culturable. They need to grow on the plate. The rapid methods, and let's just take PCR as the example that we'll use that we'll discuss today, since that's the study that we presented at AWT, we're looking for the genetic material, specifically the DNA of the Legionella or the Legionella pneumophila or the Legionella pneumophila serogroup 1. 
we're looking for that genetic material. So we don't need the organism to be able to grow. So we're capturing more of the viable Legionella that's there. And we are using an instrument to count copies of the genes from those organisms to tell us how much of that Legionella is there. So it's still a measure of how much Legionella is present. It's just looking for the genetic material instead of colonies on a plate. Now, you mentioned the rapid tests, the qPCR tests of today are much superior than those of yesteryear. Speak on that if you don't mind. Yeah, so it's easy for us to forget in you know this rapid-paced society that PCR has been around for a long time. Right? This is not a new technology. And the PCR of yesteryear, as it were, was only looking for genetic material. Right? It was finding the DNA sequences that we're looking for making copies of them. And then you had to take that genetic material and either make educated decisions with it or do some follow-up analysis with it. And it was great for certain purposes, but it left the water treater with these reasonable questions. Well, okay, hold on. Genetic material is not alive. So if I'm counting genetic material here, I'm going to count that from both live and dead cells. That was true with those older technologies. The more modern technologies they ha- we've found ways to discount the genetic material from dead cells. So now the more modern PCR technologies are only counting the genetic material from living cells. So now when you get a positive PCR result, you can be sure that there really is live Legionella in that water sample. So if we use that method, how defendable is it since so many other companies are saying the CDC is recommending the culture method or the ISO method, we're going to follow that? Where do we stand as water treaters with that? Yeah, well, I think that's another misconception. The CDC doesn't really make a recommendation typically, particularly around routine water monitoring. They want you to be using a validated method. They want you to be using a method that you know works. These methods have been validated. That's a major part of our business is acting as the independent validation lab on for these methods on their way to market. Many of them don't pass their validation, but the ones that do, there's reams and reams of data showing their validity for routine water monitoring. And if you're looking at risk, it would tend to go the other way. I never quite understood this when people talk about, well, a department of health is telling me I have to use the culture method because that's the only result they're going to trust. The Department of Health is going to tell you, and you have to do whatever they're going to tell you to do. But to me, you know, even the older PCR methods, right, if they're counting genetic material, the risk is that you would have been counting cells that were dead as alive. In essence, you would be overreacting. With a more modern PCR technology, when I get a positive PCR result, I know that that's from a live cell, right? And in fact, maybe we'll get into this a little bit. PCR is much more sensitive than the cultural method. A PCR result is showing you more of the Legionella that's present than the cultural method will. It's much more sensitive. So it puts the water treater in a more proactive position rather than reactive. At you know phase one of our study, we presented a little bit of this at AWT, showed that at low levels, and this is consistent with many other papers that have been published in literature, at low levels, the culture method is highly variable and is not particularly sensitive. So if you have very low levels of contamination in your water system and you're only using the cultural method, very likely you're not going to see that. If you use a more sensitive method like PCR, 
you're going to see that very low level of Legionella that's present. And you're going to be able to decide as the water treater, okay, I'm seeing a very low level of Legionella here. What do I want to do? Maybe right now it's very, very low and I'm just going to monitor for now. Or nope, I see it trending up after the, you know, I saw that positive result last time and now I'm using a quantitative PCR method. I'm seeing that number starting to slowly increase. Okay, right now I'm going to go do some sort of mild intervention and see if I can knock that down instead of having to blitz the system because the cultural method missed the low level contamination that was there. And now all of a sudden you have a very, very high level that you have to take some sort of drastic action against. When we talk about analysis, the words quantitative and qualitative come up. Can you help the Scaling Up Nation get a better grasp on what those are as you speak of them? Sure. So any method can be quantitative and or qualitative. Quantitative is talking about how much is it? Give me a number. How much Legionella is there? Qualitative is talking about some quality of the of the analyte. So in the case of Legionella, a qualitative question could be, is Legionella there or not? Or is it, if there is Legionella there, is it Legionella pneumophila? Is it Legionella pneumophila serogroup one? Those are qualitative aspects of the method. In an ideal world, the method would be both quantitative and qualitative. You know, the more modern qPCR, Q stands for quantitative, PCR, polymerase chain reaction, and the more modern qPCR technologies, we are quantifying how much Legionella is there. And, you know, method C is the one that we referred to at AWT. We, we compared three PCR methods, A, B, and C. Those that were in the audience will know that method C was very qualitative as well in that it counted how much Legionella was there and then characterized that as Legionella species, Legionella pneumophila, or Legionella pneumophila serogroup one. The cultural method is was designed as a qualitative measure of Legionella pneumophila serogroup one, right? And that makes sense in the context of the history, right? At the time, there was this outbreak. It was a new organism. At the time, all we knew was there was Legionella pneumophila defined as serogroup one. It was the only one we knew of at the time. And folks in academia were saying, we've got to find a way to be able to isolate this from water because it's causing this new pneumonia called Legionnaire's disease. And we need to be able to isolate that from environmental water samples. And so over several decades, the method was tweaked and the augers were updated and modified to try and get really good at isolating Legionella pneumophila serogroup one. Over the years, we have allowed it to become used in a way that it wasn't really designed for, right? It never really was designed to be a quantitative measure. It was never really designed to be accurate in telling us how much Legionella is there. It was more, is Legionella there or not? Specifically, is Legionella pneumophila serogroup one there or not? And so it's not that surprising that when we're looking at how accurate it is, in phase one of our study, we spiked water samples in the lab, very controlled, with known levels of Legionella. And at very low levels, we got very, very little recovery. Even when you've got to much higher levels, we still got a disappointingly low level of recovery. But we say with that is it's pretty good at telling us if Legionella is there or not, particularly if there's a lot of Legionella there. But at low levels, it's not very quantitatively accurate. It's not very accurate at giving us the correct answer of how much is there. When it comes to sampling, how do the two methods differ? 
they're identical. So you would still submit, you know, whatever your water management plan says, you should be, however, what volume of water you should be sampling. Most people are using 250 milliliters, I think, is for their routine monitoring. Really, the beginning of the, in the lab, the beginning, the setup of the methods is the same. We're still going to take that water and we're going to filter it. It's the next step that changes. Right? And with the cultural method, we're going to then go plate that out on augers. We're going to do some pretreatment if we have to. With the PCR, we're going to go take it to DNA extraction and running it through the thermocycler. You mentioned previously that there could be some potential problems with the pretreatment and the cultural method. What are those? Yeah, so the uh, acid and heat, those treatment steps are put into the method if you think you need them, which so if there's a judgment call on the part of the analyst. So if you know you got to take that into account too. If you're an analyst who's been doing this for 20 years, you're probably going to make a better judgment call than an analyst that's been doing this for six months. So the water treater should have that in the back of their mind. But the reason that those are there is because, as we know, water, it seems like a simple matrix, but it's not. There's all sorts of other microorganisms that are present. And if you're looking at a plate, and I showed some pictures of these plates at AWT, anybody's interested, they can just contact me and I'm, I'm happy to send those out, of just very typical water plates. And there's all sorts of you know little different colored dots on the plate, which are the different colonies of non-Legionella species. We need to try and see in there, we got to try and reduce as much of that background as possible because in the case of a Legionella assay, we're looking for Legionella. So the acid and heat is designed to try and knock down the growth of those non-Legionella species. What happens though is although it's designed to target the non-Legionella species, it also does suppress to some degree or other the growth of Legionella itself. So there's different estimates out there in literature, but upwards of 50% or more have been reported of the initial Legionella population being reduced just by the pretreatment. So that's that's the same as with the augers themselves, right? The We also put in antibiotics and other things in the augers to try and suppress the growth of non-Legionella species. It's also inhibiting the growth of the Legionella itself. Over the past year, with so many people getting COVID-19 tested, and that test being PCR, has anything been learned when it comes to Legionella? That's a great question. Not so much that things have been learned. I think that it's raised the awareness of more people to the existence of PCR, and it's got people talking about what PCR is. That's for the general public. And so, the you know, I think there's a lot more water treaters saying, well, hold on, I'm here. I used to hear sort of whispers about PCR technologies and I wasn't that interested, but now I'm hearing PCR on the news every day. There's guys trying to sell me PCR assays for Legionella. I want to know what those are. I want to hear about them again. On the other side, you know, I mentioned that at, at Q Labs, big part of our business is doing these independent lab validations for these test kit companies. And they have been developing PCR assays for a long time for all sorts of different pathogens. And they sort of, we're running pretty steady. Now there's a whole bunch more money being thrown into developing the best, fastest, most accurate PCR technology. And we're hearing both from the big, well-established technology companies, as well as there's lots of little startups popping up with their own little ideas on how to make it better. And we talk to these guys all the time and they want to know, okay, what does the water treater want? You know, Tell us what the problems are. Tell us what their problems are. 
and we will go to work trying to solve those. So there is a lot more interest and a lot of money being thrown around as a result. I don't want to say just as a result, but, you know, correlation is not necessarily causation, but it's definitely uh, having something to do with all of the work around developing assays for COVID-19. Michael, is there any reason a water treater needs to be concerned if they're running a water management plan and they've been using the culture method and now they switch over to PCR? Yeah, the concern is just that the units will not be the same. And that's something that we hear all the time, right? They want us, the cultural method is they're used to seeing units as CFU per mil. And I think everybody through training through AWT and elsewhere, folks have gotten very familiar with, okay, what is CFU per mil? What does that mean? Some folks have set action limits based on those CFU per mil results. PCR is not going to give you a CFU per mil answer. It's going to give you a GU per mil answer or whatever volume you're testing genomic units per mil, right? We're counting the copies of that DNA target sequence. So it's still a quantitative measure. It's telling us how much Legionella is there, but it's a different unit. And people always want to know, can I convert GU to CFU? Because if I could, I'd be, you know, that'd be easy. Then I'll just start using PCR and I'll just convert it. You can't really convert it. They are positively correlated. As CFU per mil goes up, GU per mil also goes up but it's not a one-to-one correlation. And then also, you know, it's really a positive, but I think it's, it's something that a, a water treater should be aware of, is that it is very likely you're going to start seeing more Legionella than you were before. So we see people when they were using the cultural method and now they're starting to use PCR, PCR is much more sensitive. It is very likely you're going to see Legionella positive samples that didn't used to be Legionella positive. An Achilles heel for a water treater is they'll say, well, I'll try and implement PCR by running them side by side. And that doesn't make any sense, you know, because what we talked about before, which is that it's very likely that you'll get a PCR positive and culture negative. That doesn't mean that the PCR is wrong. It just means that you can't get this Legionella to grow for a variety of reasons. Lots of people, I think, uh, have heard of this viable but not culturable phenomenon. That's very, very widespread, particularly with this Legionella because of all of the, the difficulties with getting Legionella to grow in the first place that I mentioned before. The PCR methods will count those viable but not culturable cells. So it's really good. You'll see very low-level Legionella. And I think you know the water treater just needs to wrap his head around speaking this new language of genomic units per milliliter and setting his thresholds based on that it really puts you in a more proactive position because you're going to see low-level Legionella contamination and you'll be able to monitor that, watch it, before it becomes a much bigger problem. In relation to the water management plan, the actual document, we now have control ranges that say between this and this, this is what we're going to do. If it's higher than that, but lower than this, this is what we're going to do. If we decide to start using PCR, how do we rewrite those plans? Well, I think you can do it the same way, right? As you would just set your, your thresholds based on genomic units per milliliter rather than CFU per mil. Part of what we're trying to do to help that conversation forward, and we talked again a little bit about this in, at AWT, is we're, we're in the middle now of phase two of our study. And one of the goals of that study is saying, Look, there's not a one-for-one 
comparison. We can't directly convert between genomic units per milliliter to CFU per milliliter, but they are positively correlated. And if that trend is predictable with a large enough sample size, what we think we might be able to do is say, all right, to a certain degree of confidence, maybe a 99% confidence, this genomic unit per milliliter is in this range of CFU per mil. And in that instance, it might help the water treater make that translation. Specifically with the semi-recent CDC update where they say, hey, you should be trending at less than one CFU per mil. Okay, what does less than one CFU per mil translate to in practice with a PCR method? We're trying to use the CDC guidance and try and give the water treater those kind of thresholds saying, okay, if you get less than this genomic unit per mil result, it's very, very likely indicative of the same intent of less than one CFU per mil with the cultural method. So today we can go out and we can look at all sorts of different standards to try to figure out how others are correlating. I get a positive test. It's within this range. This is what I do. Is there enough data to create a a new hazard strategy with PCR? Sure. I mean, I think right now the limits for the cultural method are set semi-arbitrarily, right? There's nothing magic about less than one CFU per mil, except that it's what somebody picked. And then, you know, they said, okay, well, greater than 10 CFU per mil for potable water, you know, you should be looking at that. There's nothing magic about greater than 10. I think in the future, what, you know, what would be great is more frequent testing and then set statistically based alert and action limits, if you will, figure out for your system what's normal. Because if you've got Legionella in your system, that's sort of the first step of trying to decide what your risk level is for a system. You might not see any Legionella in your system, but if you're going to a new facility and you're evaluating it, you're doing your initial assessment, if there is some low-level Legionella there, you can see, okay, what is my GU per mil result? And take that a series of times. You know, okay, I have a pretty a pretty standard statistical baseline. Now, up one standard deviation, I'm you know making up a, a potential scenario here, up one standard deviation that's a significant change. I'm going to do X when that happens. Maybe it's nothing drastic, right? Maybe it's just, I'm going to go take another sample or I'm going to do something else. Or up to standard deviations, now there's something really significant has happened. I need to go treat the system now, right? Those kind of thresholds can be set. And I think whether or not you use PCR or culture, there should be some sort of more scientific rationale behind it. You know, CDC and other standards setting these things, they're They're doing the best they can, but there's nothing magic about these numbers. What are some of the advantages that we have when we start using the PCR method? I think the biggest advantage is it's just much more sensitive. You know, we talk all the time to clients who they were, you know, they're using the cultural method and it's negative, 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 10 to the fourth, 10 to the fifth CFU per 250 mils or whatever their volume was of Legionella. They're like, oh my, where did that all come from? What happened? Well, That's the nature of microbiology, you know, but it's also in large part due to the method, right? There's a lot of viable but not culturable cells that are there. There's the inherent variability and difficulty with culturing Legionella to begin with, and the fact that it's just not a particularly good quantitative method that we currently have, the current cultural method. By the way, there are folks in in academia and elsewhere working on 
better cultural methods. That's part of the future as well. I'm just talking about the current cultural method that we have. So it puts the water treater in like a keep beating this dead horse in a very reactive position, right? They'll say negative, negative, negative. Now there's a whole bunch. What do I do? Now I have to go shock the system. I have to do something very drastic. Why couldn't I see that before? Well, it was a limitation of the method. With PCR, it's much more sensitive. You're going to see low, low levels of Legionella contamination that's there. The concern before was, well, that low level of contamination was probably from dead cells, right? That problem has been solved. When you see that low level of contamination, it's from live viable cells that can grow in your system, and you can watch that move over time. So it puts you in a much more proactive position as the water treater. You're not going to be so blindsided by these results because of the variability of the cultural method with a precise, accurate, sensitive method like PCR, the more modern PCR technologies, you'll see this low level, you can watch it trend upwards, and you can decide when you need to take action. What about in respects to the length of how long it takes to get results back? How could I forget the most important pro and con of this method altogether, right? Everybody's aware of the main con of the cultural method is it takes forever, right? Now, if you're following the ISO method, it if you're following it to the letter, I should say, of the ISO method, Minimally, it takes seven days, but we all know it can take up to two weeks or more, depending on what you see. If you see Legionella and you need to do further characterization of that, it might take longer. The PCR technologies in practice take less than a day, right? Now we're going to tell you it takes a day because we need to receive your sample and we need to test it. And then we need to go, the report needs to be written and we need to go through quality review and all of those things. So we're going to tell you what we, what we say is next day results, right? We can tell you the results the next day. And so it's, it's just night and day, right? If you're going to take a sample, especially, you know, we talk, we're, we've been talking a lot about routine water monitoring, but if you're doing a potential case investigation or you've got a positive and now you're trying to hunt it around this large campus or something, you don't want to wait two weeks for that to know, right? You want to know, okay, is there Legionella here or not? And is there a lot of Legionella there or not, right? Is there Legionella pneumophila here or not? It gives you a lot of actionable information overnight instead of waiting a week or two or more to decide even what the situation is. What are some of the things you're working on for part two of your AWT presentation? Yeah, so phase one was essentially a validation, but a more in-depth validation. We compared three PCR technologies to each other and to the cultural method with lab inoculated samples. So we took potable water and inoculated it with known levels of different Legionella species in addition to known levels of background organisms to try and simulate real life, right? Because like we said, they're not, it's not just Legionella in these waters. There are competing microorganisms. And we ran all of those against each other. And like I said, what we saw was PCR far outperformed the cultural method, was not totally surprising. But now we have to go into phase two. We have to do that with field samples. And this is what has been done before by others. You know, there's lots of literature published on this where folks skip straight to what, what we are calling phase two. They're taking for granted that the test kit company has already done the validation that's, that we sort of repeated in phase one of our study. And so now actually it's something I'll, I'll ask your audience to help us with is, you know, we're a lab. We don't have access to a lot of these samples. So if there's anybody in the audience that 
is interested in helping us advance this conversation and they're interested in submitting samples as part of phase two, we would love to have them. We are asking as many people as possible to submit samples because the larger the data set we can collect, the more robust statistics we'll be able to do and the more we'll be able to advance this conversation because if we see the same patterns in phase two as we saw in phase one, we're going to talk not only to AWT, but we're going to talk to ASHRAE and ASHE and CDC and say, hey guys, here's what we saw. PCR is, don't want to put the cart before the horse here, but it's more sensitive, it's more accurate, it's all these things. What else do you need to see before you're going to be more vocal in your standards or in your guidance documents so that water treaters feel less handcuffed around having to use one method over the other? I think it's important to note, like, you know, a lot, we've talked to, to a lot of these groups already, and they say, well, we don't tell folks what method they have to use, right? We don't, you know, they can, they're free to choose what they want. And that's technically true. But then there's the reality that, okay, but in the, in the industry, if you're not coming out in support of PCR, we're going to go with what we've all come up to learn as is the gold standard, because, you know, I don't want to stick my neck out in any kind of way. And so we need folks to send in those, in those samples. We're providing all of the sampling supplies. We're doing all the testing at our cost. There's no cost to the water treater and the samples are blind coded when they get here. So there's the water treater won't see the results. There's no risk that, well, they're going to get a, a positive Legionella on PCR and my water management plan cultural method didn't show a positive. So I have to deal with that now. There's no risk of that. They're all blind coded and we will advance this conversation. I think we can help you with that. I'll make sure to have contact information on our show notes page. We've got a lot of listeners over the United States and also around the world. So I think we can definitely help you with that. Great. Well, let's shift gears just slightly. And I'm going to go to the lightning round questions. So these are the questions that I ask of all of my guests. So uh, anybody's game here. So uh, then the point values are double. So here we go. You can now speak to your former self in your first day as a biologist. What advice would you give? Oh, boy. I think I would tell myself to start challenging the status quo right away. It's something that I do now, and I'm proud of that I do now. I'm often heretical, and it doesn't bother me now. But when I was first starting out, you know, I was of the mindset that I think probably most people are when they're first starting out in their careers that, if there's something that's been done a certain way for a long time, there's probably a really good reason for that. What I found out now is there probably is a really good reason for that, but maybe that reason doesn't exist anymore. And I, I had a mentor at P&G who, who often talked about, you're the most valuable to whatever industry you're in in the first two to five years you're in it because you have what he called alien eyes. And I'm sure it's not his concept. I'm sure somebody out there is going to say, oh, that's in this book. But he said, you have these alien eyes because you haven't been indoctrinated into the standard way of thinking. Things look strange to you that don't look strange to us anymore because we've been doing this for so long. So I think I would tell myself, hey, start being heretical now. It's fine. Nobody's going to be upset. And what I tell folks here at, at QLabs when they're starting out is if something looks strange to you or the way something is done seems odd, you're probably right. So say something. When Hollywood hears this podcast, they're instantly going to make a movie about your life. Who do you want to play, Michael? Oh, I guess this is the point where I'm supposed to make a joke about, well, I'm so devastatingly handsome that Brad Pitt or somebody should play me. But I won't do that. I won't be so 
so hackish about it. I don't know. I guess I've never seen Tom Hanks give a poor performance. So I'll, and he, everybody has nothing bad to say about him. So I'll say Tom Hanks, although since this is an audio podcast, not a visual podcast, I'll say that Tom Hanks will play me when I'm 30 years older than I am right now. There you go. Last question. You now have the ability to speak with anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Undoubtedly, Charles Darwin. He's my scientific hero. Everything in, in biology, microbiology included, only makes sense because of the theory of evolution. I named my dog Darwin after him. Um, what he presented at the time was, uh, we just talked a second ago about being heretical, you know, challenging the status quo. That was a very difficult idea to pitch at the time. And now it's, it, we're looking back, nothing else, like I said, nothing makes sense in biology without it. Love to talk to him. Michael, I want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2O. This is a topic that people are just confused about. They learned one method. They might have got bad information about another method. They never revisited that. So I think this was very helpful in getting people to maybe reform some opinions they previously made so they can make some different decisions or maybe just decisions in the future. Yeah. And like I said, anybody that wants to learn more about these, Feel free to contact us, you know, qlaboratories.com. I know you're going to have my contact information in the show notes. There's always going to be a need for the cultural method. That's never going to go away. We want the water treater to have these tools in his toolbox that, hey, I know this method can do this and it can't do this. I know this method is good for this and it's not great at that. There's just other methods around that we want the water treater to be armed with so he knows for this situation, this is the best method available. And those are going to continue to change. Well, thanks again, Michael. I think we all learned a lot and we all learned that there's a lot to learn out there. Nation, every time I go to one of the technical training seminars, we are talking about all the things that you just heard. I think there's a lot of confusion around that, but there doesn't have to be. There's also a lot of good information. We also have so many incredible professionals that can help you understand the testing methods that we use and answer your questions. In fact, they might even be able to answer some of the questions you haven't even thought of yet. I hope that you listen to this episode and you start researching some of the things that you want to learn more about. Hopefully that means tomorrow you're going to know a little bit more than you did today. And as you know more, I hope you start teaching that to other people so they can learn right along with you. Speaking of that, I hope you also have an idea for me for the next show. If you do, please don't keep that information to yourself. Go to scalinguph2o.com and go to our show ideas page, or even better, you can leave me a voicemail on that same page and I will play your voice, your very own voice, asking your question, and I will get that answered on the air. Folks, I will have a brand new episode for you next week. I can't wait to talk to you then. In the meantime, have a great week, folks. One of the members of the group each week comes with a problem that they want to present. So this starts by that member describing the problem to the group and then indicating, you know, what is the goal that they want to accomplish from, you know, the discussion that's about to ensue. 
So from there, everyone will then spend maybe 20 minutes or so asking clarifying questions in which everyone is doing exactly that, asking questions and the person in the middle then responds. There's no back and forth dialogue at this point, it's just clarifications. And then from there, once we feel as a group that the problem is understood and all the questions are answered, we move forward to providing recommendations. Each member of the group then you know, gives them insight and some feedback based on what they heard to the person in the middle who finally then kind of compiles all of that advice and says, okay, this is, this is what I'm taking away from the advice of the group. And here's what you can expect from me as far as tackling the problem and hopefully resolving it within the next couple weeks, depending on the scale of the problem. To find out more, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.